This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. NBA free agency opens this Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, exactly one year to the day that Kevin Durant requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets, sending sports talk everywhere into a frenzy. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fitz and Harry. The fellas are off this week, so ESPN had to search high and low for talent to step in. And when that failed, they went to me. My name is Joe Fortenball. You can catch me on Daily Wager, Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. I also co-host Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. I'll be in this week with Freddie Coleman, who's coming off first take, and he's going to be coming in hot, so we're excited for that in a moment. But back to the story at hand, NBA free agency. Are we going to see something this week like we saw last year with Kevin Durant? And if the answer is yes, the most likely candidate would be none other than Portland Trailblazers star Damian Lillard. Is this the end of the line for Lillard in Portland? Should this be the end of the line for Lillard in Portland? Kendrick Perkins, ESPN NBA analyst, speaking on the situation and whether or not the time has come for these two parties to part ways. They're really on the clock. When it comes down to Dame, I don't think it should be a conversation anymore. I think they should go to Dame and say, Dame, we're going to do you a favor. We appreciate it. You're one of the greatest Portland Trailblazers, one of the greatest players to ever put on a uniform. We're not taking it for granted. We're going to trade you to a destination that's great for you that's going to help you win the championship and that's that a city that you could get adjusted to and a city that you were a team that you would want to play for. Fitz and Harry is presented by Progressive Insurance. If there's ever been a time for these two to consider parting ways, the deck is set. This is the time. This is the time for everyone involved. Portland is coming off a very successful NBA draft in which they used the third overall pick on none other than Scoot Henderson, the highly touted point guard coming out of the G League. They have Shaden Sharp. They have Anthony Simons. There are young pieces in place in which you could build a core and develop a team that in the next few years could take the necessary steps to put itself in position to challenge for a championship as the Western Conference gets older. Golden State not getting any younger. The situation in Phoenix is not something that's built for the next five to ten years. There will be opportunity. Develop the youth while you can. And with Lillard such a highly prized target for a team like the Miami Heat, you could bring in additional assets to kickstart that rebuild. For Lillard, the time's come. No one anywhere is going to look at this situation and say to themselves, Lillard forced his way out. Lillard and the Blazers broke up on bad terms. The time simply come. Portland could move on. Lillard deserves to move on. It's going to take too long to get this young talent ready to compete at the highest level, which is what Lillard is looking to do right now. What he's looking to do right now, which is compete for a championship. And the Miami Heat make perfect sense. If James Harden is not back in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia 76ers make good sense. But the Heat look to be the front runners. Can't see a situation in which he stays and it's beneficial to everybody involved, especially the Portland Trailblazers, outside of the fact that his experience, his leadership, the example he sets just by showing up day in and day out and going to work would be great for the young guys. There are few people in the NBA 
who have been as committed to their city as Damian Lillard. But I think even the city understands that the franchise has failed to build around him and put him in a position to achieve what he ultimately wants to achieve, which is an NBA championship. He's put up big numbers. He's had a lot of success, but the time has come. And it's heartbreaking on a certain level because you want to see the guys who stick by their city have success. Giannis in Milwaukee, Jokic in Denver. These are different scenarios I understand, but in a league that is fascinating because of how much turnover takes place with superstars moving from team to team to team, the talking points we have on a regular basis, the excitement it draws, especially in a week like this with free agency opening Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, you want to root for the guys who stand by their team. You want to root for the guys who say, no, I'm not going to go jump to the super team. I'm not going to go jump to the favorable situation. I'm going to stay. I'm going to build. And I'm going to do what I can to win here. Loyalty is not something you have to have in this business because after all, it is a business. But when you see it, you want to root for it because it's the the yin to the yang. And is that Freddie Coleman? Joe Fortenbaugh, it is me, Freddie Coleman. What's Have you just on, been brother? listening to me spitting off at the mouth all this time? Well, number one, you were spitting facts when it comes to the Portland Trailblazers because if you're not going to be in business with Damian Lillard, then when do you make that decision to say because you can't be in the middle when it comes to being a Portland Trailblazers organization. If you're not competing for a championship, Joe, then you better be at the bottom and start all over and blow it up and go from that standpoint. I agree. How was first take today? You look good. Thank you. When you allow my wife, Denise, to take care of the clothing department and you stay out of the way as far as that goes, then everything is going to work very, very smoothly <laughs> as far as that goes for me. But, yeah, we had a blast being on there with Nick Friedel. He's going to join us in 20 minutes here. Also had a chance to hang out with him and Kendrick Perkins, Christine Williamson, doing a great job as usual, keeping everything together. We made fun of Dan Olowski. looked like he just got out of Miami, part of Miami Vice, when he was on <laughs> me and Kimberly Martin talking a little NFL as well. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Fitz and Harry presented by Progressive Insurance. Round out your protection with life, phone, and pet health insurance alongside the incomparable Freddie Coleman. My name is Joe Fortenball. We are in for Fitz and Harry this week here on ESPN Radio. So Miami, they make sense as the most likely target here, right? No doubt. Because what we were talking about when the show launched a few minutes ago is that one year ago to the day, This Friday, June 30th, when free agency opens up, one year ago to that day, that's when Kevin Durant put in the trade request with the Brooklyn Mm -hmm. Nets and sent us all into a frenzy. So do we see fireworks like that again this week? I don't think we're going to see that, Joe, mainly because Damian Lillard has let it be known that he's not interested in being part of any trade conversation when it comes to the Portland Trailblazers. But I will say this, if you are the Portland Trailblazers, Just because you're saying that Damian Lillard, Joe, is not going to be involved in any trade discussion does not mean you're not listening to anybody out there putting any kind of trade offer. And you could be Miami doing that. You could be Boston doing that. You could be Philadelphia doing that. But you're going to pay attention to that. The question is, Joe, is that when you are going to move on from a piece like Damian Lillard, if I'm the Portland Trailblazers, I'm looking at anybody and I'm saying, if the Minnesota Timberwolves gave all that away for Rudy Gobert, then you should ask for the moon, the stars, Pluto, Venus, Saturn, for a guy like (laughs) Damian Lillard, who you know is going to make your team infinitely better than what Rudy Gobert did for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they gave him that kind of haul to get him from the Utah Jazz. So I think that's where it's going to get sticky. 
what kind of collateral are you going to get back in terms of draft picks, in terms of matching up salaries? That's when things can get sticky, even if you're listing any kind of trade offer, Joe, that's going to be out there because don't pay attention to what they're saying. They're saying he's not going to be involved in trade talks. That does not mean they're not paying attention to anybody out there that's going to make an offer and put that on the table. I wonder how much of that go bear trade is going to gum up the works yeah. for teams looking to move on from stars because Lillard is one of the top stars in the NBA. But what was it? Four first round picks. Mm -hmm. And then what ended up happening is it didn't really work. That's the problem. Minnesota didn't really find another gear. They looked very disjointed at times. It didn't look like they ever found a natural flow for Gobert with the rest of the unit they had out there. Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, everyone in between. So Russell ends up getting traded. They make some moves, but ultimately it was a first round flameout, which is something that we've seen in the past from this franchise. They can't seem to get to the next point. So it reminds me a little bit mm -hmm. of the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson situation. Yes. You give out this ridiculous, fully guaranteed contract, and then the Lamar Jacksons of the world want to top that. But no one else in the business wants to make that move, make that transaction, because they look at Cleveland and they say, they made a mistake. This is not going to be the norm. This is going to be the outlier. So was Minnesota the outlier situation in the NBA where no one's going to want to follow suit? Well, they should be the outlier because, Joe, you should not be following down the path of fools when they make those <laughs> kind of decisions. And it's funny you mention that because Nick Friedel, Kendrick Perkins, and I were talking about that on first take. And I made the point that said, just because Minnesota and Utah made that trade, if you're Portland, then you got to be in business that way. But that doesn't mean that you got to comply just because they believe they should move on from Damian Lillard, whether that's going to be sooner than later. If you're the Miami Heat, you could look at a, a, a viable option, in my opinion, a Fred Van Vliet. That's not going to cost as much as Damian Lillard. You're not going to have to give up anything for him. And you get an orchestrator where Jimmy Butler does not have to do that. You have a guy that can make those kind of shots and make that happen. If you're the Boston Celtics, you should be in the v Fred Van Vliet sweepstakes as well, Joe, because you need somebody that can really get guys into the right spots. That was something that Marcus Smart was good at, but not along the lines of Fred Van Vliet but if you're going to be all in for Damian Lillard if you know and we all know this Joe he is the piece that you need to win a championship to get closer to a championship then how much are you willing to give up and if, and if it's going to be the right kind of package that you should want in return if you're the Portland Trailblazers the odds may be in favor of Lillard staying in Portland the odds also favor Victor Wembanyama, the number one pick in last week's NBA draft, winning rookie of the year. Odds on. Okay. We're going to tell you one reason why that might be a bad bet. That's next. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. With the first pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama. Accomplishing something that I've been dreaming of, hearing that sentence from Adam Silver. I've dreamed of it so much. and Harry, the podcast.
With the first pick in the 2023 NBA Draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama. Accomplishing something that I've been dreaming of, you know, my whole life. Hearing that, that sentence from Adam Silver, you know, I, I've dreamed of it so much. He's a seven foot five Kevin Durant. That's what he plays like. He plays like KD. He's going to be one of the best shot blockers in the league. I mean, he's going to be unbelievable. Victor Wembanyama, the number one overall pick in last week's NBA draft, is a staggering minus 225 to wow. win NBA Rookie of the Year. That means you have to <laughs> risk $225 to win 100 Is that a good bet? We're going to have that answer for you in just a bit. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance alongside Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. Evan Wilner. Producer extraordinaire, welcome to the show. You're going to be hosting this segment, from what I understand. That means, I guess, kick back, open a beer. Is that how it works for me? <laughs> oh, Sounds really? Good. Yeah. <laughs> a little early for beer, don't you think? Especially here in Vegas, where it's nine seventeen a.m. Yeah. Hey, it's never too early or too late for a beer in Vegas. Happy hour somewhere. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, how's this work, Evan? All right, Go ahead. So, yeah, I'm going to give you some stats. You're going to tell me if you think Victor Wembanyama's season average will be over or under that stat. Okay. And uh, then. Yeah, we'll go from there. So, Freddie, we'll go with you first. Yeah. Points per game, 17 and a half. Taking the over or the under for Victor Wembanyama. I'm going to take the over. I think he'll get to 18, close to 19 points per game because he has that kind of game that can be very fluid where he can step outside and make shots. He's going to have a height advantage over anybody that he plays, and I think once he gets used to the NBA strength and using his strength, he's going to be even better as the season goes along. So I think he can get close to 18, 19 points per game. I'll take the over. Agreed. I'm playing the over here as well. Paolo Bancaro, the rookie of the year from this previous season, averaged 20 points per game in his first year with the Orlando Magic. He's a stud, but he wasn't nearly as touted as Victor Wembanyama was. So going to San Antonio where there's a lack of options means there's a, uh, an abundance, is the word I was looking for there, of opportunity. I mean, this guy's so tall, he doesn't even have to stand on his tiptoes to touch the rim. He should get 10 <laughs> points a game just from layups and dunks because no one can defend it. So, right. yeah, 17 and a half, I'd say is light. I bet they over there. All right, how about rebounds per game, Joe? Eight and a half over, under? Same situation. I'd have to go over there. I think this one could be a little trickier depending on how they want to use him. He is a, a shooter who can space the floor a little bit. But at the same time, Freddie, when you're seven foot four, mm -hmm. you got to be able to pull down nine rebounds a game if you're getting 30 minutes a night, right? Right. You would think. But rebounding is hard in the NBA. And more than ever before in pace and space basketball, we see a lot of guards getting rebounds because long shots equal long rebounds. So I'm going to say it's a little bit under. I think he'll get close to eight rebounds a game. I think a lot of times guards will be able to get those rebounds. But what that means is that now he can get out in transition where he can be lethal finishing at the rim or finding guys in transition or even spotting up for three-point shots. So I can see guards getting more of those rebounds that normally a guy of his size should be able to get. But in modern basketball, that means he can get out in the break and really be lethal finishing at the rim. All right, what about blocks? Two and a half, Freddie, over or under? I'm going to go back to Joe's point. They're going to play more outside. He'll get a lot of off-the-ball blocks. I'm going to say that's going to be an under because two and a half blocks is a lot to get in the NBA when nobody plays inside anymore, nobody really posts up, and if anybody penetrates, the defense is converged, they kick it out the open shooter. So I'm going to say that's under two and a half blocks on the season. 
Agreed. There's only three guys in the NBA that averaged two and a half blocks per game or greater last season. Jaron Jackson Jr. in Memphis, Nick Claxton in Brooklyn, and Brooke Lopez in Milwaukee. This is a high threshold to get to. So he could be a great defensive player. He could be a great shot blocker. But to get to two and a half blocks per game is a pretty extraordinary stat. And the guys I mentioned, guys like Jaron Jackson, that's a defensive-minded player. He's going for blocks. Wembenyan is going to need to be the entire package, especially on the offensive end of the court so I'd say under there all right last one over under games played 65 and the reason I put 65 is because that's the new threshold to be Mm -hmm. eligible for postseason awards including rookie of the year so over under 65 games for Victor Weminyama I would say under for two reasons number one any sort of injury whatsoever helps you here on this bet. Any sort right. of injury whatsoever. And in addition to that, you got to ask yourself, if the San Antonio Spurs see this kid as the face of the franchise, the future of the franchise, the cornerstone of the franchise, which they do and they should, why would you want him playing 75, 80 games this season? Mm-hmm. There's no rush. You're not really going to be competing for a playoff spot. This is about developing the individual, not just from a basketball IQ standpoint, but also from a physical standpoint. The rigors of an 82-game season are lofty, absolutely lofty. So I would say under 65 games based on the injury risk, but at the same time the fact that I don't think the Spurs are going to be playing him every night. I'm going to say 70. He's not going to play the full 82. He's not going to play 72. But I think you're going to see him play a little bit more towards the end of the season to continue to get his body and his mind right for the rigors of the NBA schedule. And you're exactly right, Joe. They're not going to rush him along. They're not going to have him play extended minutes early and wear him out even though he's 19, 20 years of age. They're not going to do that to him. But they want him to get used to the NBA style of play. And the only way you can do that is to be out there. You can't be, as they, as old coaches used to say, you can't be sitting on the bench and learning <laughs> from there. They're going to want him to learn on the basketball court to get ready for what they believe is going to be the kind of future that we saw with Tim Duncan and David Robinson when those guys were drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. They know that that battle plan works. They know that that draft works as far as doing that and getting players ready. I could see him playing 70, 72, no more than that, but I think he'll play more than 65. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. We're filling in for Fitz and Harry here on ESPN Radio this week. Nick Friedel, NBA reporter on the latest with Damian Lillard, coming up in eight minutes at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. I want to go back to something Evan mentioned about the 65-game threshold. That is a new rule this year under the new collective bargaining agreement. All major awards, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, as well as the All-NBA teams. First team All-NBA, second team All-NBA. You see where I'm going here. Absolutely. You have to play a minimum of 65 games, Mm -hmm. and there's no fudging with that system. You have to play a minimum of 20 20 minutes per night. So 20 minutes per night, 65 games for the season. Are you in favor of that? Because I know we're trying to limit load management here because it's become a problem with some of these marquee games. But then at the same time, if Kevin Durant goes out and plays a fantastic 64 games but misses, what, 18 due to injury, he's not eligible for any of that stuff. Well, you hope that the NBA will have some considerations, Joe, based on the scenario that you just presented, that what if he plays 64 games but he's injured for the 18. I think there's going to be something put in place where that's going to happen because he was out there for the full 64 and he probably would have played more games. But I'm in favor of this because the NBA knows that people come to Broadway and they want to see Bette Midler. They don't want to see the understudy like the Seinfeld episode. They don't want to see understudies. And a lot of fans will let it be known and a lot of owners will let it be known. We're sick and tired of players 
having that kind of power and leeway where if they don't feel like playing and the coach is buying because of players' league, then players will take advantage of that. It's the old child thing. We both have children. You give your child an inch, they're going to keep going further and further and further until you stop them. That's the same situation, in my opinion, with this with the NBA players. Now, if a player's injured, I think you got to make special considerations for that, and I think the NBA is going to do that. But you can't just having stars playing 59, 60 games or 55 games, then they're ready for the playoffs, and everybody says, well, wait a minute, I, sp- I paid good money to see you, and you weren't there. This has guys getting ready and staying ready and always being on top of their games. And if injuries don't happen, there's no excuse for an NBA player to not to play at least 70 to 72 games in an 82-game season. See, this is why I wouldn't bet Victor Wembanyama to win Rookie of the Year. I'd look okay. further down the list. Brandon Miller, the number two overall pick to Charlotte, he's plus 950. That's a right. $100 wager returning $950 in profit. Because when we're talking about a 65-game threshold, we're now talking about that being the number one most important criteria mm-hmm. for these awards. Right. That's the problem. The criteria used to be very simple. Who is the best player? Who is the most valuable player? And that guy's going to get the award. Absolutely. Who is the best rookie? That guy's going to get the award. But if you go back two years ago, LaMelo Ball won rookie of the year. He only played, I believe, 52 games. Mm-hmm. He would not be eligible this year. So now the threshold comes down to 65 games. It is the most important criteria, whether people like it or not. So you have to take that into account. And if you're talking about a betting market and laying minus 225 odds Mm -hmm. on a guy who has to play 65 games in order to qualify, I'd be looking for a longer shot further down the board because I think that is where you end up finding the value. All eyes on Damian Lillard this week as NBA free agency opens 6 p.m. Eastern Friday. But one of our reporters says to keep an eye on what another superstar does and what it could mean for the league MVP. That's next. Alongside Freddie Coleman, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It would actually be the perfect timing for Portland to move on now that they do have the heir apparent. The best thing he can do is leave the Trailblazers. If Damian Lillard says, I don't think we can win with this roster, then I'm going to say, well, it's your choice. Do you want out? Fitz and Harry, the podcast. would actually be the perfect timing for Portland to move on now that they do have the heir apparent. I hear a lot of speculation around yeah. Draymond Green and Dame Lillard spending a lot of time together. Can that be possible for Golden State? The best thing he can do is leave the Trailblazers because maybe he can go somewhere where he has the shot at the championship he obviously wants. If Damian Lillard says, I don't think we can win with this roster, then I'm going to say, well, it's your choice. Do you want out? And let him make the decision right there. If I heard that correctly in the update, and as a Flyers fan, I've grown resigned to the fact that they're not going to win hockey games anymore, but now they okay. can't even execute trades properly. Wow. Tough times, Freddie <laughs> Coleman. Tough times in Philadelphia. I, I'm a He's Mets Freddie fan. Coleman. I don't want to hear it. I don't want <laughs> to hear your sob stories about your poor Philadelphia teams. Forget it. 
<laughs> Alongside Freddie Coleman, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Let's bring in the big guns. ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel, kind enough to join us here on the show. Nick, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Apologies that you have to be face-to-face with Freddie Coleman yeah. all day long. Yeah, I wouldn't wish in New that York on State. That can't anybody. Be easy. That can't be easy, Nick. Joe, it's awesome because Freddie and I have been talking on the radio for 15 years about yeah, it that's at this right. point. And I was just telling him to to be on first take where I, I really haven't been in, in general. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I've done a lot of shows during my time at, right. uh, at ESPN. I have not been on first take much. But to be firing off some take in a camera and to see my man Freddie Coleman <laughs> just off to my left nodding and be like, you got it, buddy. Absolutely. I was like, Hell yeah. You knocked so, it out out of the park. Are awesome. you kidding me? It was cool. Plus, you had to cool do with perks, so you know how that goes. <laughs> 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 well, it's a beautiful thing, and we appreciate your time here on the radio show today. Let's start with this. Damian Lillard, a lot of talk surrounding what the future holds. He said he doesn't want to be a part of a youth movement, but there's a lot of youth in Portland right now. What do you think ends up happening here? Joe, what we're going to find out, whether it's in the next week or in the next month, at some point before the season, how much does Dame Lillard really want to win a title? Mm-hmm. Because it's not going to happen in Portland. As good as Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp may be, they are a long way away from legit contention in the West. If he wants to win in his prime, it's ready-made for him to push to go somewhere else. All he has ever told me and every other media member in the NBA is, mm-hmm. I want to stay in Portland. So if we were betting right now, I would bet that he would still push to stay when push comes to shove with the Trailblazers. But if he's sitting there at some point in the near future and he's going, all right, they just made the third pick. They've got a bunch of young pieces. It feels like another rebuild. Do I really want to sit here and watch the rest of my prime go by, then he's going to have to go to the front office and say, I want out, and even more guys. He's going to have to say, if he really wants Miami or wherever he may want to go, I want to be here. And you all owe it to me, given what I've given this organization for so many years, to help me land in the the spot that I want to be. How sticky could that get if that decision is going to be made at a certain point, Nick, that they're going to move on from each other. How sticky could that get? Because his contract is large, and you know you're going to want a lot of pieces if, in return if you're the Portland Trailblazers. We're going to find out just how much sway Dame has. Freddie, <laughs> <laughs> if, if Dame Lillard really wants to go to Miami for, for argument's sake in the context of this conversation, Miami doesn't have what other teams can offer. Exactly. Brooklyn, if they got in the middle of this, has all the picks in the world again. And, and they've got all these different pieces that a lot of teams think are very favorable. They would provide a better offer than whatever Miami may be able to draw up. But if Portland wants to do right by their guy, a guy that it figures no matter what happens is going to have a statue outside Moda Center and, Absolutely. and be the guy forever and ever out in the Pacific Northwest, then Dame has to say, I want to be here, and I need your help to make it happen. And it wouldn't be the first time that we have seen a star of Dame's caliber push his team, or his old team in this case, to get him where he wants to go. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, joining Freddie Coleman and Joe Fortenball here on Fitz and Harry ESPN Radio. Let's go to Philadelphia. James Harden, will he be back? Won't he be back? Do you think he stays and continues to build with MVP Joel Embiid? 
If you're guessing right now, Joe, I would say, yeah, it probably looks like he's going to be back. Do I think that anything is going to change if and when Harden signs that deal as far as the Sixers breaking through the brick wall that is the second round? No. I just don't think Harden at this stage of his career is the player that we saw in Houston for so many seasons. He's not the type of guy who's going to be able to provide that consistency night after night. And the biggest red flag is what we saw in the postseason. Mm -hmm. There are moments in time where you see Harden and you go, oh, yeah, it's still in there. Game one against the Celtics. Absolutely. Dropping 40 going, okay, it's the old Harden. Well, guess what happened in game six and seven? He disappeared. And it's happened far too often now to just ignore. Harden still has time to prove that he can be at a level that we're used to seeing for longer stretches. I just don't believe, having watched him, that he can be that guy moving forward for years to come. So if you're Philly, you don't have much of another option right now other than to hope that Harden comes back, he's in shape, he's feeling good. But, Joe, I wouldn't feel good if I were the Sixers. I know they were close, and certainly they could have knocked out the the Celtics, but they didn't do it. I just don't think that the roster is enough that would lead you to believe that times are going to change there. What's the likelihood that if you're Philadelphia with a new coach and Nick Nurse coming in, Nick, that they have to make sure that James Harden is more the playmaker point guard and that Tyrese Maxey should really step up and be the second guy behind Joel Embiid? Freddie, it's a terrific point, and if you're Nick Nurse, if you have the kind of sway that you think you do, and certainly this is a guy who wears his initials on his hat and, <laughs> That's true. and won a title in Toronto and, and thinks very highly of himself. Yes, he does. If you believe that and you can get that message across, that is the best way for the Sixers to have long-term success. And if you're Harden and you re-sign in Philly, the first thing I'm doing if I'm Nick Nurse before training camp starts is, James, you're a Hall of Famer, incredible scorer, but, and it's a big but at this stage, you are at your best as a facilitator who can occasionally give us nights to remember offensively. Mm-hmm. I think that is 100% the way to go. If you look back on that series, Freddie, against the Celtics, Harden, his best game, I thought, for the team came in game five. I agree. Where they dominated in Boston, but he was getting everybody else looks. He was creating open space for Embiid and his teammates because of what he had done earlier in the series. Harden may not want to do that. If you're a Hall of Famer, your ego is... is, Hall of Fame-esque. Is Hall of (laughs) Fame-esque in a lot of different cases. But if Nick Nurse can do anything to get through and change the tenor from where Doc had it over the last few years, that is step one in my mind. ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel joining us here on Fitz and Harry ESPN Radio. While we're on the topic of Philadelphia, rumors percolating here, there, that the Knicks are monitoring the situation with Joel Embiid. Uh This upcoming season and Embiid's future in Philadelphia, what does that look like? Is there the possibility that he could be on his way elsewhere somewhere in the future? It all depends on the next year to me. If you're Joel Embiid, Joe, and you're looking at this situation, and let's say they re-sign Harden and they – Get to a point where you look at what they have, not only in the short term, but in the long term, especially where that money is going to be tied up. If you are committing to Harden, you better win this year if you're Philly. Because if they get to the second round again and they get bounced, why wouldn't 
Embiid sit there next year right at this time and go, hey, guys, we don't have enough. I want out of here. As a big man, your prime is not as long as a guard and and is not as a, not able to have the type of runway that other players yeah. uh, have had Especially in the past. Especially the way he plays. Exactly. He's fallen down all over the place on the floor. If you're Embiid, I think this is the year to make it happen in Philly because if you don't make it happen this year and you start looking around at the numbers that are all over the place, where are you going to get a piece that makes that much of a difference to begin with? Outstanding stuff, as, as always. Usual. He's on ESPN all day. Kind enough to swing by ESPN Radio. ESPN NBA reporter Nick Friedel with us here on Fitz and Harry. Thank you, Nick. Great stuff, as always. Great to be with you guys. The NBA offseason, usually the biggest soap opera in sports, but this year, that belongs to the National Football League because of one disgruntled superstar. But is he even a top-five player at his own position? Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Yes, indeed it is, but with a twist. Fitz and Harry on a much-deserved vacation this week. So we're rocking with the B-Squad. Alongside Freddie Coleman, <laughs> I'm Joe Fortenball. Thank you for checking us out here on ESPN Radio. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, joined us in the last segment. We touched on a variety of topics. Damian Lillard's future, James Harden's future, and then we got into Joel Embiid a little bit. That's where it got interesting. Take a listen to what Nick had to say regarding what's at stake for the Sixers and Embiid this season. If you are committing to Harden, you better win this year if you're Philly. Because if they get to the second round again and they get bounced, why wouldn't Embiid sit there next year right at this time and go, hey, guys, we don't have enough. I want out of here. As a big man, your prime is not as long as a guard and – and is not as a, not able to have the type of runway that other players yeah. uh, have had Especially in the Especially the way he plays. Exactly. He's fallen down all over the place on the floor. If you're Embiid, I think this is the year to make it happen in Philly because if you don't make it happen this year and you start looking around at the numbers that are all over the place, where are you going to get a piece that makes that much of a difference to begin with? Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Freddie Coleman, what's the panic level in Philadelphia after hearing something like that? Well, there's always panic level in Philadelphia when it comes to, Joe, you and your brethren in the city of brotherly (laughs) love. Because especially when your organization, as I've been to an NBA championship since the early 2000s, and yet not won an NBA championship since 1983, where Dr. J and Moses Malone and that crew were able to finally break through and get that championship beating the Lakers in four games. One of the things about modern basketball, really modern times, Joe, it's no longer year to year. It's second to second. And your championship window, if you believe you have one, can slam shut pretty quickly. Because how many times did we think after that ball bounced, 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 and went in, 
when Philadelphia lost to Toronto, thinking, okay, that's a step that they're going to get past. They'll be able to get the Eastern Conference Finals, get the NBA Finals, and that step has not been able to happen. So any panic meter is going to be a panic meter, especially in a basketball city like Philadelphia, where you see a Joel Embiid, what he's been able to do, a James Harden, what he's supposed to do, and an organization you believe should be a lot better getting to an NBA Finals than what we have not seen in Philadelphia since 2001. When Sixers fans like myself gripe about the flameouts in the playoffs, I think there's this misconception from other people that the Philly fan base is upset that they're not winning titles. It's not that. It's that they're not showing any progress exactly. whatsoever. Exactly. Like, this is the last six years of 76ers basketball working backwards from this year. Lost in the conference semis, lost in the conference semis, lost in the conference semis, <laughs> swept in the first round, lost in the conference semis, lost in the conference semis. Now, that might seem like a team that's consistent because it is. They're consistently getting to the conference semis. But here's the problem. In that six-year stretch for when the Sixers decided to start winning, because the year before that, they went 28-54. and 54. In that six-year stretch, half the NBA has qualified for at least one conference finals. Wow. Half. We're not talking about three or four teams. At least 15 NBA teams have been to the conference finals during that six-year stretch. If you go back and think about it, you can rattle the teams off. The Sixers are one of those teams that have not. You're routinely finishing as a one, two, or three seed, and you can't get to the conference finals. That's the problem is that no progress is being shown. And my theory on this mm -hmm. is that the franchise has never gotten away from their losing culture. This entire process started by losing. Okay. Hey, everyone, hmm. stick with us here. We're going to do a ton of losing, but don't worry. Once we're done losing, we're going to start winning. I don't think that's how you can build a culture. As far away as they've tried to get from trust the process right. and all that early losing and tanking, they're still the losing stench in that organization. And they, as a culture and as a franchise, cannot get past it. And you see that every year in the conference semis when they can't raise their game. They don't have the toughness. They were not outplayed in game six by the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. They completely fell apart in the last six minutes of that game. No and doubt. that's what cost them from advancing. One of the things about that, by Joe Ford and by Freddie coming together and Fitz and Harry and ESPN Radio, you mentioned something that I did not think of. If you're so used to having a yeah, but mentality or the, the city around you, has a yeah, but mentality. You can't help but feel that kind of pressure that's going to be on you because when they went a three games to two, they ran into that locker room celebrating when they had that lead on Boston. And when they came out, that building and that team was nervous in game six. And I noticed it right away. I said, that's the last thing you wanted to see. If you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan, you want a team to be out there and come out there like bloodthirsty pirates. Got to be killers. Right. It was Boston that came out as bloodthirsty pirates in game six. And you knew that Philadelphia, when they did not win game six, they were not going to win game seven. They completely laid down. So I never thought about that. If you're so used to starting from a losing culture that you have not been able to establish that you believe you can win, that it continues to affect an organization where you have guys that want to win, but do they believe they can win? And right now, I don't think they have enough guys in that organization that believe that they can win a championship. Nick Nurse is a great hire, in my opinion. They I need agree. some toughness. Yep. They, they have got to – that's what they're lacking. The toughness, the killer instinct. We look at James Harden at the end of that series against Boston. He didn't come through. Embiid didn't come through. Someone has to step up and deliver the death blow at some point. Yep. The Warriors are loaded with guys who can do that. LeBron James has been able to do that throughout his career. They don't have the guy that can del deliver the death blow. Hopefully, the new head coach is the type of guy that can instill that in them. Well, Nick Nurse comes from the school. I don't give a bleep about your feelings. And that's the lat and that's yeah. exactly what they need because the guys you mentioned, they're not worried about hurting your feelings if it means that it's going to compromise their basketball team. Nick Nurse is not about compromising. If he your feelings are hurt, that's a you problem. He's not going to make it a Nick Nurse problem. 
College World Series tonight, Game 3, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. The ump cam is on ESPNU. Nice. It has been a wild series, wild between LSU and Florida. We told you there's one NFL wide receiver who has turned this offseason into a soap opera, and we're not even talking about Aaron Rodgers. That's next. Fitz <laughs> and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.